Hi, welcome to this episode of Author Eke. I'm Travis Davis, your host. Tell us your story. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Author Eke. I have Joe Goldberg today, a very accomplished uh, writer. Um, and if he says too much, um, think a black card's going to show up. And if this is the last podcast, you know to go look at him. Go find him. Go like that. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> I may have to gray him out here. Uh, but <laughs> too uh, late. Joe. Too late, man. <laughs> Stand in line. Mine decided just to leave. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's a great meeting you. And I, I, thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Uh, Look forward and to uh, we're going to get into your books, your kind of the history, uh, what kind of motivates you. Just really just kind of a conversation. So sure. I'd like to go introduce yourself, Joe, to all the author, author Eke folk. Okay. Um, yeah, Joe Goldberg. I've uh, had a, a career that I've gone through pretty much all the arenas of uh, careers. I went, actually started marketing research mm-hmm. while I was waiting for getting into the CIA. And I went to the CIA out of college with the University of Iowa. Go Hawks. Um <laughs> no Razorbacks. Iowa. Razorbacks are okay. I don't mind them. We actually had a guy, in Mar- I was in marching band. A guy used to wear a Razorback hog hat. Lazy oh, wow. Practicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I think I saw him. Yeah. yeah. Back in the University of Iowa, Hawkeye marching band days in the 80s. Um, exactly. So I uh, got to Iowa, a political science degree and a broadcasting degree uh, and a minor in history. So I had this kind of bifurcated desire to do something political and to do something uh, mm-hmm. creative. And the CIA came on campus. I thought that was the best way to go. So I applied, took a year, got in, um, went into television analysis. This is the 80s, so it's before anything that you guys even know. Videotape was – the videotape wars were just decided between beta mm-hmm. and VHS. This thing's called compact discs were on the horizon. Yep. CNN was fresh on the air. Uh, so it was like we are the kind of – the cutting edge from the analog digital transition time. So that was kind of exciting. I did media analysis. I did uh, propaganda operations and uh, for about eight years, decided it was time to leave for family and other reasons. I went to uh, Motorola, which had the largest, uh, most professional intelligence operation of any corporation in the world. In fact, it was the best. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it was started by uh, Bob Galvin. He was on the President Nixon's uh, foreign, foreign Advisory Board. And uh, he saw the CIA people coming in brief, and he said, that's cool. So he actually brought in a guy named Jan Herring from the agency who started a group inside corporate strategy about the 1980s, 1982. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, uh, there was five of us who ran that group. We're all former CIA officers. I was the last one before Motorola sort of uh, contracted, mm-hmm. uh, broke up the pieces. Corporate didn't exist anymore. Right. And after that, I saw 16 years there. I worked in a business unit in cellular, then I went into corporate for a long time. And uh, then after it dissolved, I went back to my roots. I uh, was a political scientist and a communications guy. So I was asked to help run uh, overseas political campaign management for actually the former the Obama guys, but that's a whole other story how mm. that happened. And uh, so for eight years, I helped run presidential and prime minister campaigns overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing U.S. Don't care about Republicans and Democrats. U.S. Well, I do care, but I don't, right, right. don't yeah. do their elections. Right, and uh, they don't do theirs either. <laughs> yeah, I know. When, when Nigeria's <laughs> elections makes more sense than the U.S. elections, yeah. then you got a problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so then, I, after that, I uh, started teaching. I'm a I adjunct professor in 
uh, mass communications at one of the largest community colleges in, outside Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I, I write it. I, and I write, although I started my first book back in, actually right around uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. The day it was sent to go out was the, the week of 9-11. So it's whatever this is. It's oh, almost wow. exactly whatever number of years ago. Uh-huh. 23. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. this week, um, I the day before was 9-11. I had my terrorism book on, on Libya, my historical, my fictional historical fiction I get yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. book. Uh, and I had to rip this is that back in the days you had to actually have to mail things in big envelopes mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. cover letters and go to the printer. And so I rewrote my cover letter saying, Hey, if not terrorism now, then when? And I got some nice comments back then. And, but they were like, everybody was scared of terrorism. It was just fresh, mm-hmm. I mean, fresh. And, uh, I sat on it for a long mm-hmm. time, sat on it for about 14 years, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, life got in the way and, yeah. and then some life changing events happened. I said, you know, if not now, when same thing for that letter and, Mm-hmm. 2014 put out the first book, which was an Amazon number one bestseller for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then was going to write a sequel that my friends said, oh, it's a historical fiction. It's like Argo type of historical mm-hmm. fiction. Or Amer- the Americans, I thought it was fit right in that groove. Right. They're like, oh, don't do that. They want contemporary spy novels. So I stopped writing my sequel and I just tried to think of it something new, which is the current series I'm actually finishing off now. So that's excellent. Pretty much it. Excellent. I mean, that's quite, quite diverse. Uh, and then, you know, what are the what are the odds of you wanting to write a book on terrorism and then nine eleven happens? I mean, I mean, that's shocking. Yeah, that's shocking. Yeah, but my book it was uh, Gaddafi based, and so it was right. actually there's pages in there. I, I could go, I pulled out the page and showed the people mm. what I'm talking about, the transition from state-sponsored terror to non-state-sponsored right. terror, which was what was happening then. So it wasn't yeah. I was prescient, but you could see it happening. Uh, oh, yeah. He was he was big into that. I mean, look at uh, the bombing in Berlin. Well, that's uh, in the book. The, 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 disco. The, the, yeah, the disco and killed, I think, one soldier. Yeah. And then the retaliation by Reagan was launching an attack, but France, France wouldn't let him fly over. Yep. So they that's had the to go all the way around. Yeah, that's a, the the whole book takes place from basically September '85 through the very beginning of '87. Oh, and it's, well. and it's that's that is the the, the story, the theme. Um, the, so, when were you in Europe? When were I was never stationed there. Uh-huh. Um, I was based in the U.S. and I would, in my propaganda operation days, I would fly out to stations that needed help and support. Uh-huh. Not a sport. I just do. I, I did from. Headquarters. I sort of uh, our group was people come down with ideas. Hey, we need. Can you help? right, right? And it'd say yes or no. And he had to, you know, it was a crazy eighties time where yes, everybody, everybody thought they could be Steven Spielberg, and you know, it's ah, I'll just push the video button and make this thing. And you know, when Ronald Reagan says, mm-hmm. "Hey, Mister Gorbachev, tear down this wall," we all stood and looked at each other. And went, well, our here comes a video. He's just changed, <laughs> right? So we spent. A lot of time on that. There's a, and there's been discussions about how impactful was U.S. propaganda operations against to, to bring down the wall. And I was kind of involved in a little bit in my little way, and I, I have no idea. I do. Yeah, have, I, th- I, I think, can't uh, say I don't care. Right. But how do you know? It's propaganda. I can't survey the people. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know. You, you just have to you throw it out there. The repercussions are what you want. Um, it went down. Yeah. 
Now, who knows everything's propaganda? Yeah. <laughs> to, to yeah. It's a part of my misinformation class. I teach propaganda. So, because I was in Europe in 78 and 79. So that was when really like the Biter Meinhof gang, the Red Brigade yep, were kind of out there. And I, I, I'd guard the east, west, east, uh, west Germany, Czechoslovakian border at that time. Right. And then we came back in 83 to 86 and did the east German border. But, and I was a border operations sergeant for a while. So I get all these reports in from uh, MI battalion and, you know, all these documents, you read them and, you know, what, what food shortages are there in East Germany, for example. Right. So I, I'd read those and it was summer. I'm a soldier and there had a citrus fruit shortage. So naturally, what do I do? I go buy a bag of oranges. I pull my Jeep up where they're working on the fence. And so you know, it's back, you know, 10, you're 10 yards at least back from the right. fence. But I pulled right up to where the border was. Uh, there was a Grenzaufklär, which was an East German uh, special border police, border scout for their side who would watch all the workers, make sure nobody ran across. So I decided, well, I'm going to sit on my Jeep. I'm going to turn on some music, open a Coke and have an orange. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't share? You didn't try to recruit them? Hey, well, soldier. Well, I was... I think I was mean because I ate half of it and then threw it on the ground. Oh, man. That was an opportunity to make friends. <laughs> well, they took- You got to think like an intelligence officer, man. <laughs> they, they took pictures of me and I took pictures of them all day yeah. long, but uh, I actually left the orange. I left the orange. Opportunity there. lost. I left the orange where they could grab it oh, if they want. Yeah, them and their bugs. All right. Well, <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, you're, an, you're an army guy. I was an intel guy. That, that was <laughs> that's great. That's, so it was, it was, my, my son was an MI guy in the army. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so you, you put off, you wrote a book, you put it off for a while because of, you know, world events, what probably, you know, good Life. time or freaking out. And then you put it, put it out and it did very well. You so well, write a sequel and your friend's like, uh, no, no, <laughs> no. it was actually okay. Kevin Maurer who wrote uh, no easy day. Uh-huh. Uh, the book about the Obama, the, uh, the bin Laden raid. Yeah. And, uh, we were, ha- we were having breakfast and he said, just don't, don't do it. So it was just, he actually wrote when he was signing the book for me saying, go, go out and write that corporate intelligence book. Cause I was in corporate intelligence, not corporate espionage, corporate intelligence. Right. right. But when I got done writing the first draft of that book, you know what I figured out? What's that? Corporate intelligence is boring. Right? Mm. Nobody wants to read about writing Excel spreadsheets or what font exactly. you're using in your PowerPoint presentation. It's just, mm-hmm. how do how do you make it? cool and i have a thing about being plausible I, right uh, if, it, if it's not plausible i have difficulty writing it i understand coincidence and yeah. it's I, I, i'm known for my sort of jump the shark illogic i hate that um so do you so, did you do a lot of research on your books because i'm the same way i don't want to i'm going to write what out not probably out there yet but what i think is potentially plausible in the future yeah, I don't, I'm not trying to guess the future and, and I'm more, uh, action in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I, I like, I very much research and try to get my stuff based on current events. Cause that makes it you know mm-hmm. plausible. Cause you know, this, this yeah. is actually happening. In fact, uh, my next book, I'm doing that right now. It's a non-espionage book. Thank God. Um, and I don't, I just can't stand it when really dumb things are in books. It just stops me or in movies, mm-hmm. you know, right? In 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 uh, the Bourne books, so Bourne movies. You said I'm sure you've seen the movies. Oh yeah, you know, yeah the yeah, third one when they they blow up his guy in Marrakesh or wherever it is, and and Bourne goes down to the mortuary and gets the fried briefcase and he picks through the ashes. You know, remember that scene? Yeah, and. Yep. and yep. 
And so what is lo and behold, what does he find in this totally fried out suitcase? <laughs> the, the address that's unburnt, in fact, it's perfectly burnt around the edges. Of course. Of the true location of a super sub-secret CIA station in New York City that he has to have. He has mm-hmm. to have that or the movie stops right then. And yeah. I actually sat forward in the movie theater and groaned and my wife taps me on the shoulder and goes, oh, it's only you know, only you. But that that's implausible. That's right. ridiculous. Right. Right. Everything's the whole thing, the be thing he needs. And oh, by the way, the agency's so stupid that they put the seal of the agency on the outside and they put the true address. That's lazy writing. Mm-hmm. And I just try to avoid that. And if yeah. you're a writer, don't be lazy. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean you have to be hard. Just right. don't don't say, well, I'm stuck, so I need to have the alien come down and you know, it just it just ruins it for the reader. And I always have the reader sitting right here and then right. over my shoulder saying, Reading it. Is that ridiculous. plausible? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I mean, so I'm a relatively new writer, so I. Uh, but yeah, I try to figure. I try to match it back to either world events or what potentially world events, technology. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day and uh, signing a book and everything. So I was talking to him about my books. He goes, "Oh, so you write like an old Tom Clancy, you know, the older Tom Clancy." Books. Yeah, they're for in October. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to join the Navy after that. And I was a sergeant, a staff sergeant in the army. And I called a recruiter in Frankfurt to go, Hey, I want to join the Navy. He goes, well, you lose a rank. I go, eh, goodbye. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> that was nice that bad. See you, sailor. <laughs> but yeah, that, was a, and, that was a book. That was a, that was, I found I was just talking to Ryan Steck, the real spy book about this yesterday. What, what books or authors are era changing mm-hmm. books mm-hmm. and Clancy, everybody knows Tom Clancy Yep. and you know, Hunt for October has been made into a movie, but his fourth book was that Cardinal the Kremlin or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you really know the plot? You know, you know Jack Ryan, right? Right, and he became right. sort of implausible, right? But that's right. Uh, but you know the character, right? And you know John Le Carre, you know Smiley, mm. right? So you know the Jackal from you know. There's just there's, you may not remember the plot, but you know those things. And they were so I kind of see those as seminal books that sort of change industries. So I'm, we we're talking about who today are those writers, you know, right. who, are, who are not that they're part they're the same, but who really just sort of change the direction of the right. thriller, action, adventure, espionage genre. Yeah, because he was definitely the first one that wrote. I mean, you always had. Uh, uh, you had always had Robert Ludlum. Um, He's, he was a know. changer. That was those gang, that gang. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think I don't think Luke Carey could get published today. Really? Well, he's boring, right? Huh. I mean, how many people die in what I consider the best book of all times, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, or even the second greatest spy, the uh, the spy came in from the cold, mm-hmm. and nobody. Well, one or right. two. It's kind of but that's just an afterthought. The book is internal espionage and the dynamics of these people working together in this really yeah. tough environment and how they're recruiting and how they get, you know, no one, now you got to kill people. You know, like Josh Hood told me very early on, if you get stuck, kill somebody. It's just, that's, what, that's, <laughs> that's what's hard in. to do. That's yeah. hard to do sometimes. You don't want to kill your, your characters off. I, I remember I, I read uh, Gorky Park. Of course. And I just love that book. You know, I mean, that to me uh, was just phenomenal because I was always interested in that espionage type thing. I'm, I was in Germany. I was uh, 19 years old, 19 or 20, my first tour. A couple of years ago. And that, and that, 78, that's the height of the Cold War. And, you know, our mission was to guard the East-West or the Czech border. And the other was East-West. Um, 
So, I, you know, I'd be around town. It was, you know, drizzling, rainy. You know, you see somebody walk behind you. They got a trench coat on and a hat and everything. You're like, oh, <laughs> you yeah, never know. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Don't be too cliche. Don't be. I know. But still. You know, we practiced that on the streets. <laughs> but, uh, in fact, I did that. I felt like a hey, I was. I was 19. I was like I was 19 years old from Arkansas. I'm like, come on. This is an interesting place here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's life experience. That's, but, but that's what writing is, life experience. Yeah. You know? yes. And the, the right what you know only goes so far, but you're right what you see, you write what other mm-hmm. people talk about. You you see these things, you remember them, and 20 years later, you go, I'm going to stick that in there because I kind of remember that guy or that person, yeah. that woman. Yep. That's that's what the experiential writing is to entertain people. Yeah, and I, I do. I mean, uh, then you got a tough skin too because some folks, you know, kind of rough on you from uh, – reviews or whatever, but you got to have tough skin. But I, I enjoy writing and I enjoy uh, having people read the book and comment on them. So what's the what's your latest book that you have out right now? <laughs> Sorry, the latest book, uh, I don't have a copy that says it printed, printed yet. Um, it's the third of my Spy Devil series, which is the book I started after uh, Secret Wars, which was the, mm-hmm. the big one. And uh, I, I decided to do a three- series book mm-hmm. and I, I self-published because I'm impatient and stupid. So <laughs> I, I had, it, I'd worked on it for a long time and I right. thought I had it in shape and then COVID comes along and the published industry is sort of waning. And I'd, I'd already started querying before COVID mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting the reaction I had hoped for. I got a mm-hmm. lot of full reads and partial reads, but it mm-hmm. always came back with the standard, I like what I'm reading, comma, but, you know, and I realized it wasn't quite ready yet. I thought it was ready. I needed mm-hmm. to take a couple extra steps. I kind of feel that way for this next book, actually. Um, so I did it on my own and wanted to do it right. And it's a pretty good book. And mm-hmm. I had, so I had the second book and now I'm doing the third one, which completes the arc of the Spy Devils. And I want to get away from espionage a little bit. I'm going to um, get into more, not psychological thriller, conspiracy mm-hmm. thriller, sort of something mm-hmm. like that. Just not spies. Just all spy stuff. No spies, no espionage, no bang, bang. Not, no, no, yeah, no special forces, no special ops stuff, which I'm not one. I'm just kind of talk to people, make it right. up. Although that's not important in my books. Um well, I think the, there's a lot of those already. <laughs> I mean, it's an oversaturated market. Hey, if yes. you're an espionage writer, and I don't want to piss you off, but uh, it's a dead, it's a dying genre. Yeah, and it's there's four or five great writers who dominate, and everybody else can get your small but loyal following, which I think I have, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. But I uh, don't think it's I can take it any further mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without just sort of doing the same thing of a different name. Yeah, I got ideas. And yeah. I've left open book three, which is called Devil's Own Day. And that I could do a book four down the road if I want to. Right. Or a novellas, which don't sell, but they're just fun to do to practice mm-hmm. writing. Uh, so it's not a, it is the end of that series. And it ends, like it sounds like the end, but if you're reading, you can tell that there is a way to keep going. Right, it's not high, not hidden. It's just that my right. main characters, all my all the main characters have changed positions, so there are right. new things to do. So that, there's that. But I really don't have an interest in writing it for a while. I really have a couple short stories and a couple science fiction things in the back of yeah. my brain. I gotta, I really, really, really am working on this next book, which is going to be the book. I really am putting a lot of effort into 
mm-hmm. making this the one. Yeah, I've, I've, I've started writing my third uh, of the series. I'm, I'm about halfway through, and I go, you know, do I want to, you know, finish it? Because I have yes. other things I want to be able to do, and I've got some, you know, yes, World you War One interests me, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the uh, Germany during the Cold War, you know, as a border scout, right? What 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 happened? You know, what can you kind of make yeah. it kind of cool or whatever? Fold the gap stuff, or uh, the same route that. Napoleon did that Hitler did and they all got stuck in Russia in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, they're with the same route. History repeats itself. It's, yeah. It's called Afghanistan in the current times. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you, you can't, uh, we're, we're, we're living in an age that was a product of the world war one, uh, treaty. Yeah. For exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there Which were, we're, world we lived that all the time. And then up yeah. We go. So we're living in the mandates of breaking up countries, the changing the lines. And I was remember I was in Ukraine once. And I was talking to the cab driver, and he goes, yeah. "My mother, father was built in this, born in this village, and it was run by this country. And then my mother's born in the village it was run by this country, mm-hmm. and I was born there. Same village, three different countries. Yep. Right? The lines kept getting redrawn, drawn, but yeah. it was the exact same spot. Exactly. Yeah, so, I was in Germany uh, when the wall came down. It went, well, when the wall and the reunification of East West Germany, my wife is from a town that's like 11 Ks from the border, but I was, mm-hmm. and I was in the army then. And they're Germans, but they were, they're different Germans, East German and West German, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're, even to this day, there's a lot of differences. Uh, and you can tell based on the political uh, environment of former East Germany versus West Germany, even to this day. Um, so it's, it was interesting, like you said, today you couldn't go across, you know, or yesterday. Today you can, and everything's like it's like normal, but it wasn't really. It's like going back in time. We right. we built Germany in the fifties, sixties on in uh, the Marshall Plan. Right. Soviet Union never really invested in the cities or anything in East, East Germany other than military. So it was going. It was like going from a color TV into a black and white TV in oh, a yeah. in a blink of an eye. Uh, had, it's crazy. I had some East German friends back in my friends back yeah, in my yeah, agency well. days. <laughs> they were they just couldn't understand the concept of uh, some of the op- openness, but openness or right. democracy or freedom, and it's just. But that's shouldn't expect that given where they're come well, from. Exactly, like, you don't expect Northern Californians and Southern Californians to understand each other. Or I'm around Chicago, and we have mm-hmm. a different perspective than Southern Illinois. It's not, not as if it's it takes a, yep. a major political divide and a wall to do it. It's geolocation. It's location, yeah. and it's just life experiences. Yeah, especially, I mean, East Germans. So they had, you know, they had people living in the like a one K zone, right? And then they had people that's five K, but the people in the five K were watching the one K people. And the people, <laughs> everybody was watching each other, uh, make sure nobody, you know, the Stasi, right? I mean, Stasi. everybody, the everybody thought everybody was a Stasi and lo and behold, you know, 20, 20, 25 years later, the Germans elect the next Stasi. Isn't it surprising? <laughs> Fear the Stasi, the, the know, German secret service. Or Chancellor of Germany. I'm like, oh, holy cow. What are you, you going to be kidding me? That's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. So if you didn't write, and you're not evidently looking to write other things, but what would somebody suspect that you would you want to write, but you would, or like as a kids book, would it be uh, research, yeah, well, I, nonfiction? I, uh, what, what would you like? I mean, again, I'm, if you yeah, could, to say, to I want to, I want to do this. I, I want to. 
write a uh, historical fiction, my, my great American novel, my To Kill a Mockingbird, which is the top of my sort of top of my list of all time books. Oh yeah. Um, is a, an idea I've had since 1990. It was actually it was in my process of getting out of the agency, trying to figure it out. I went back to my hometown, Waterloo, Iowa, which may be the basis of my next book, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, at least not in name, but in existence yeah. and fictionalized. And I just had this epiphany. See, these are the sidewalks of my youth and uh, the movie theater that I grew up in, this great old movie theater. It was the largest theater uh, west of the Mississippi, first air-conditioned building in the state, huge Gothic-style Balabot and Cats theater, like the ones in downtown Chicago. I'm Mm -hmm. like, now it's a flood control project in a park. And I'm like, this is where I spent all of my time. Mm -hmm. And I just said, there's a story here. There's a historical story. So I... Have been. I started researching a lot back then. Talked and using this movie theater as sort of a cinema paradiso, a last picture show mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing, and talk about the the rise, the rise and fall of this theater and the rise and fall of the town. In fact, not that it makes a difference to anybody, but I'm sort of milling on this. The mm-hmm. town that I'm going to fictionalize for my next book may actually be the town I will use from now on, and just. Ah. Put it in different time periods. So I get to my great American novel, which mm-hmm. I've had the title for forever. I will use the same town. So it'll be in a different time frame. And those, so not that it's a, it's, it's not supposed to be some sort of cute you know, mm-hmm. tool, but might as well make up one town and just use it throughout the, the history of time. So that's a, it's, you know, it's, you don't have to kill off anybody. I don't you have to kill. Well, anybody. you got to kill. Some, <laughs> you know, old. people get old. Every, every, uh, <laughs> Uh, book that's mm-hmm. you know has a, a murder trial or somebody gets gets i mean crawdads if you read where the crawdads say it's a murder and a murder trial it's the best right. you know it's a, you know kill a mockingbird <laughs> every book has got the kill uh, right gone girl you got the you know kind of got the kill so <laughs> yeah so it's kind of that mystery crime mm-hmm. whodunit agatha christie psychological thriller conspiracy thriller that is where I'm going at this next book. Not ah. quite, not quite that complex, but um, and and creating uh, conspiracies mm-hmm. and, and whodunits mm-hmm. uh, is complex. I mean, that's why I'm you know you, you got to read your Agatha Christie, and I'm a, a huge Sherlock Holmes fan, and um, and the and the current guy, the current people who write mm-hmm. those books. I, you got to pay attention to how they do it, but there's really, I guess there's a formula, but if it's so formula, you know, if there's, if there was such a formula, then everybody just could do it. And it's yeah, just kind of, kind of reverse engineer a little bit or it's who's the least likely whatever. person, that person, therefore they did it. You know, that's kind right. Of yeah. Way and they looks back in the mirror and it's me. Like yeah. I did it. I didn't even know about it. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of nice when they actually have the person who's accused right. actually be the person who did it. And not the last person they show in the, in the movie. He's yeah. been th- he's been in the driving away <laughs> with their suitcase in the trunk, going ah, he didn't catch me, he didn't suspect me. Or well, it's just kind or... of a th- it's a twist. I mean, yeah. You read the Anthony Horowitz books and like those are worth reading to, for the Who Done It types of right. stuff. He's probably the best out there. I'm a, I'm a big uh, Clive Cussler fan because I like to read a book that I don't have to think about too much, but the stories uh, some are very implausible, but the stories are so oh this is, you know you can read uh, the, the about Dirk and all these other folks. So I do I used to read I used to travel every week, so I pick up a book, and I'd read a book during the week. I'm flying around, and uh, you know put another one down and it 
and then I started reading a lot of books about, uh, I forgot the name of it, but um, they're about a 1936 Olympics. A guy is in the U.S. Olympic team in Germany. World oh, War II happens. Boy, he becomes a pilot. Oh, that's not, I'd like to say Boys in the Boat, which is a great book. Oh, but he becomes a pilot. It's shot down. Japanese figure out who he is and and just brutalize him. Uh, but he, you know, he lives to tell a story. This is uh, a nonfiction book. It's, it's nonfiction. Ah, I kind of know what you're talking about. Because you you think to yourself, how in the world? Oh, this is a, what's his name? This is um, Heartbreak, or is that yes, is, is, uh, uh, Hildebrand's book? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Broke. Unbroken. Unbroken. That is a fantastic story. Yeah, it's 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 creepy. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's like in the world. Yeah, it's about the, just what people can't endure. And you know, I, I love nonfiction. I've always been a nonfiction guy. And biographies and the like. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about Kyle, Clive Cutts learning got on a plane, what's the number one rule of all this nonsense we're talking about? Entertaining. Mm -hmm. you know, a book needs. If it's nonfiction, it's educational and entertaining. Right. If it's a fiction book, it can be educational, it can be eye opening, but it rule number one better be entertaining. Turn the page, right? Yeah. Make yeah. it so they can't put it down. I couldn't put this down. I read it. Damn you. I had to stay up all night, read your book. So that's that's entertaining. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was I remember reading I probably one of his books on the on the on the airplane. And I'm looking down, I'm going, you know, I'm trying to squint. I go, oh crap. I need glasses. <laughs> <laughs> he started in the agency. Back really? Back in the TV days. Yep. Ah, I, was like, ah. I finally had to go to the optometrist because I, I was watching lots of tele television. Oh, yeah. A lot. And right. uh, I'm the only person in my family who doesn't wear glasses. He goes, well, you can't say that anymore. Here's your prescription. So uh, do you have you have to get your books uh, cleared if they're mentioned? Yeah. Anything like that? In fact, my current book is in pre-publication review right now. Um, How I don't long does that take? normally well um i'm a little bit uptight in some senses I, I normally give them two or three months and they give you always always get it done in a month to six weeks in fact i expect that because they have already asked i sent it to them on friday i heard them up to, from them on tuesday saying send us your manuscript and i did a begging griping i apologize i apologize it's so late um and and i've only had Secret Wars had some redactions and mm -hmm. Spy Devils may have had a couple. I don't think I had any in Rebellious Sun, which is the second book. But you, you kind of you go kind of want them so right. you can say, here's the stuff the CIA didn't want you to read. You know, it's a marketing thing. Um, I can only think of one, maybe two things they would even think about. And if they do, mm -hmm. I might be in trouble because it's kind of a plot point. Um, right. But uh, I see so much stuff out there that I never have even talked about. And it's live on the air, but it comes, it's different if it's come from somebody who says you're former this yes. rather than, in fact, I was just watching the, uh, spy ops, uh, documentaries are on Netflix now mm. and they take an issue. Like they, just, they just did just cause the uh, Panama invasion. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I was sitting next to my wife and I'm going, you know, I kind of had a tangential, uh, assistance to that thing and kind of mentioned a few things to her. And within seconds on this documentary about just cause they talk about it. You know, oh wow! I'm like, it's almost. Right. I'm like, cool. I'm pointing, like, literally, actually going like this, and this is I've never heard anybody sort of. It's not that's a big secret of things, but I just never talked about because don't. And yeah. and there it was, and I'm like, 
That's pretty cool. I, it, it, it what it it's cool. It's on a documentary. It's Panama, blah blah. No one remembers Panama, but you don't get a lot of validation mm-hmm. when you're doing propaganda ops, and you don't get a lot of pad lab action. You don't expect them in the agency. In fact, you're not even asking for them in the agency in the military, right? right? right. You just do your thing and off you go. So to see a bazillion years later mm-hmm. a documentary on this thing, which takes the time to discuss how important this little thing was, and I was really just on the I help, but you know, I wasn't the guy behind it. Is gratifying for a life that's close. The end is closer than the beginning, right? So, like, okay, that's that's it's like something. 88, 89. It was, like yeah, that, Panama. Yeah. Yeah. It was 80, 80, 89, 88, 89. Yep. Yeah, it was around, it yep. was a Christmas time. Yep, I drove for uh, Desert Storm and everything. Yep, I remember right. that. After Grenada, Grenada. Uh, it was people that don't remember. We were quite active in the Caribbean and uh, South Central America. Take out, <laughs> for a while. take out Noriega. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's interesting. So you say in your self-published, you weren't, but you've been through a traditional publisher before. I assume. no, no, no. I you've always been self-published the first one because I didn't know because uh, I got rejected back then. That book really wasn't uh, well. I, after nineteen ninety nine to two thousand one. Of course, internet and email was. Oh yeah, forget that. You still had to sign for stuff. You had to sign. Remember yeah, those yeah, envelopes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had yeah. big stacks of Manila. I'm yeah, stuff full of things. I had to go to the printer and get printed. And so in 2014, I was like, I just want to get this thing out. And I rewrote it, and it became better. I really should go back and rewrite it and make it really better because I just, I just, yeah, it's, that's a long time ago and it needs to be rewritten. Um, I'm a better writer, proofreading things like that. Yeah, um, I think that. I you know, won a few awards. I actually got. I mean, it was it was pretty good in its um, the mistakes and the errors mm. and the the nuance of a of a novice writer. And so I still get comments on that. It's inside the walls kind of things. Right, right. It's it's as real as I could get without going to prison. That's the line I always use. Uh, but I, no, then, I, then I said I'm go traditional. I'm not spy devils. I'm going to go traditional. And I told the story about how I blew that up. So. Once you start a series, no one's going to buy it. So you got to finish it off as a self-publish. But I am guarantee <laughs> more for what is self-publishing versus traditional publishing? I don't know if traditional is even the word anymore. Um, yeah, I think, I think you're right. It, first of all, I like to get paid to actually write, which would be nice rather than me shelling out thousands of dollars for covers and marketing mm-hmm. and printing and all that sort of stuff and audio books and all those things that make you make your book appear real if someone put, looks at I, in my opinion if someone looks at my books and look at anybody else's books they'll never know which one's self-published which one's mm-hmm. traditionally published that's that the key goal that's, that's the, the key goal. yeah the yeah. publishers are covers are professional they're everything is for it's look they look good um and they, they couldn't tell but there's something i in fact my newsletter this past month i think joe goldberg books newsletter mm-hmm. was all about the self-publishing oh and i need to read I re- that i reprinted an article that i wrote for um Brian Wilson's uh, career authors website. And I talk about some of my rules uh, of, of getting it done. And, and really the only thing that I felt, felt besides getting paid, self-publishing would give me is that validation. The control? No, nah, no, you lose control. I mean, yeah. self-publishing, you got, I control everything. Oh I, yeah. I, I, Definitely. Not, I'm not being told I can rewrite it. I can change my pub date. I can pick it. 
and I get the and I get the royalties, right? They're mine. I'm not sharing them with anybody. Not that right. there's a lot of them, but they're mine. So, mm-hmm. but there's so you lose control. You lose some exactly you have to give up the people. But there is that thing about saying I am a traditionally published author. Hell, I can't even be a full member of the International Thriller Writers Association because I'm not published by a publishing house. I may have sold thousands of copies of books, maybe not every book, but you know, one mm-hmm. book sold a lot. Sure. The books were sold okay, mm-hmm. but that's not good enough. I'm gonna, I can only be an associate member because I'm not a traditionally published author. And I had an out with I, I had this discussion with them, but this got to have rules. I guess they had, they had rules. They have a process, and, and I understand that. It's just sort of deflating rather than validating. You got to sell, sell so many books or from a traditional publisher or a publisher that they know that they've, I guess, vetted. Well, if you sell from any kind of traditional publisher, even if it's a small one guy in a basement that's that's approved by them and that it's on their yes. list, you're yep. now a published author. You can become a full member. Mm-hmm. If you and you can sell zero, right. if you do it yourself and send ten thousand, you can, you're not. Mm-hmm. At least that's how the rules were. If they change them, great. oh, I've seen, I've read them recently too. Yeah, yeah. I've checked so, and and, it, and the only way to get through that is if you sell a lot for a, a lot of books, like a three or four or five books, show consistent sales, because like, sales mm-hmm. are supposedly important. Um, and question: Are sales really the validating element of being mm-hmm. a writer? Yes, we want to sell. Yes, we want to be a bestseller. We we want to be award winning. I've done that. I'm I'm not lying. Bestseller, award winning, great on a, a self published book, books actually. But I really don't care how many. Yes, I do want to sell. I'm gonna get my money back. But right, I want I want a thumbs up. I want people just to go, good book. Yep. I like your writing. I'm gonna tell my friends about it. I'm buying it for my grandpa. That is much more important than saying, oh, I sold eight books or I got this many pre-orders. They're both validating in their at their levels. Right. One's financial or whatever, mm-hmm. and one is internal self-ego. Right. Uh, and I've always gone with, I f- firmly ha- put more percentage on, I want to put out a good quality book that I know my grandkids can read, and which is actually the reason I write. Rather than saying, "Oh, this book sold a lot," because I know what my grandkids want to ask: "Hey, how many books did this sell?" They'll, but they're able to see the book that Grandpa wrote and go, "I like this book." Yeah, I, 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 I like that too. I like getting the, especially if somebody that I that I may work with or something they they they'll read the book or they'll give it to their. I have one guy that gave it to his uh, his father, and uh, you know, a couple weeks later he comes back and says, "Man, my my dad just loved your books." He goes. Yep. He couldn't put the thing down. That's you know? great. And he says, now he's starting my other book, right? So I'm going to give get it, that. I'm sorry. Did you give it to him or did they buy it? They bought it. They bought, well, that's nice. That's nice too. I mean, I, yeah. I give away. Oh, like I give a ton of books away. I give a ton of white books away and I get a 10th reviews. Yes. If you're listening and you're a writer and you're a yep. reader, write reviews. All right. That's the yeah, only way it, that validates us and keeps us going is a writing a review. Yes, and I owe a lot of my friends reviews right now. Um, you get caught up in it. And in fact, probably soon after this thing is done, I'm going to sit down and just start pounding out the reviews that I owe and the books that I have stacked up. I just need to uh, mm. remind everybody out there to go buy these guys' books because they're friends. Oh, yeah, the, it, yeah, the reviews are, are monumental in the uh, being able to visibility on Amazon. Yeah. You know, 
it's, it's really key. And yeah, I mean, I give a ton of books away. I'll, I'll go, you know, somewhere and I have some books in the car and I have a couple beers and we're starting to say, you want a book? <laughs> yeah. Keep them. Oh, yeah. Write a review here. Here, here, here. I'm like a car dealer. Cover. Yeah. When I, when I send books out, I put a little piece of paper and it said, uh, that pretty much says, uh, reviews are the lifeblood of an author. They validate. Just tell your friends. It doesn't I have like to be that. paragraph. It could be stars. It could be a thumbs. It can say good. And, and I don't say this in that little piece of paper, but uh, constructive reviews are always welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, negative reviews are worthless. They don't do it. You're going to get those. I had somebody review my book on Amazon, and they obviously had not read the book because it had absolutely nothing to do. It'd be, like, yep. it'd be as if they took a, a view for a blender and put it under my book because it was like, I actually well, said, some people have nothing to do. And nothing. I mean, literally, it was nothing to do. Wrong yeah. character names, wrong plot. So I sent a note to Amazon saying, this is a this is a, uh, a sock puppet. This, I mean, I'm being whacked here. Take this review down. And they didn't do it. So, so you know, the people do that to bring your numbers down. I'm good. Fine. Yeah. 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 But reviews count. I teach social media and I teach things like reviews. And people look at those numbers. And, I, and, mm-hmm. and my second book was, or my second book in the Spy Devil series, has not gotten a lot of reviews. I, and, and I... And I don't know why I, I haven't it hasn't generated the, the the reviews like the first two did, which is kind of get over the hundred mark. Some get mm-hmm. thousands. I like how's that even pot? Are you buying the reviews? They, I mean, are your sales that great? Are they that's that easy to read? Or I don't something? know how they get that many. I, I, I I'm <laughs> at a loss. I'm at a loss. I mean, uh-huh. you have the social media presence. You do the podcasts. You go to the shows if you can. You ask people to do it, and I I, I and I. There's not a quid pro quo. If I'm it's not a, I'm giving you a book, write me a review. That's never. Yeah. Never ever. Is it mm-hmm. nice? Is it do I would I appreciate it? Especially if I'm giving you a free book. You know, it's kinda it's not once again, not a quid pro pro quo, but hey. Yeah, hey. So um yeah, it, it that's the constant battle. I mean it it and at some point marketing the damn thing just which is the most important thing, and you can never stop. Oh. I was just is, talking to the guy. Says, "How long? What's what's the average length of time an author promotes their book after pub?" And I said, "Uh, I think I said a month." And he said, "It's like twenty some days." And he says, "It should be." Th-. And he's he's in the pub uh, publicity business. He goes, "It should be three years." Yeah, you should you always promoting everything you've ever written mm-hmm. th- three years after your last one continually, which I find to be exhausting. It is, uh, it is a, I mean, I, I was very naive. I'm going to write a book. Everybody's going to love it, you know, but you got to market. And so I learned, you know, talking to authors like you and other ones and just doing my research that, okay, the next time, you know, my next book is going to definitely be a lot different from a launch perspective than my second book, which was better than the first book in the launch perspective, right? Yeah. So definitely the third book is going to be uh, better in that instance. So, what is your favorite Jimmy Buffett uh, song? My favorite. Well, when I when I was getting the question you're asking, something I knew Buffett. Um, yeah. When I first met him, that was at the time that Motorola was dissolving and things were pretty bad. And I said to myself, "I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to freeze up. I'm going to say." And I did. Shook his hand. We're at Madison Square Garden behind stage. And I said, "Your music meant a lot to me." And I and, at dark times. And I want to thank you. And you hear that a lot about Buffett. So the songs I, I listen to a lot, just at that time, which I really like, are like uh, One Particular Harbor, um, He Went to Paris, mm-hmm. uh, Banana Republic, which is by Steve Goodman. He, um, you know, Songs that were sort of uh, 
pick-me-ups, uh, his version of Southern Cross by Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, I love. Oh, yeah. Um, and and yep. you know, the ballads. He's a, he, I love listening to his ballads. That's that's where he's at his strongest. He, he, would, he actually said, I'm, I'm a ballad. I'm a balladeer. I like to write. He didn't start things. like that. He started writing uh, you know, other types of music and decided to kick off, put sandals on. And, yeah. I mean, Margaritaville, his first – Margarita was his first commercial hit. I think his first song that was on the radio was Come Monday, another ballad. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a great song, by the way. Yeah, it's and that is it, one of my favorites. It's the one, it's on the list. Yeah. And and he would change the words. And he and I remember saying to him, uh, we used to breakfast before shows, I'd say, uh, you know, if you play uh uh Banana Republic, so he and I said, I'm gonna cry. And he goes, There's no crying at a puppet concert. <laughs> like, I cannot cry, and he and he actually did, which I appreciated. Yeah. But that's a, you know, he was an interesting. Everything you read, mm-hmm. every once in a while, it's true. He was really a nice guy. Who, who am I? I was some schmo, right? He picked up along the way, and our sort of our paths crossed in my mm-hmm. political consulting career, and he was just so generous with his time and his friendship, and gave us me experiences, a chance to talk about and post pictures yeah. and. And honor him. Uh, mm-hmm. I knew he was sick, and he he hadn't responded to even as his, on his birthday like he's had. But you know, and so that's those are my favorites. I like the ballads. I, I like a mm-hmm. couple puppy pep. Margaritaville is not my favorite song. I don't think it was his favorite song either. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was the catalyst, right? It was that. Yeah, it was that, the one. Yeah, he's. He used to say, there's eight songs I have to do. I got to do these eight songs. And I don't, the crowds, <laughs> and so we do them, he, you know, yeah. cheeseburger and all those sort of things. Cheeseburger in paradise, yeah. Yeah. And he, he said, I got to do them. And I think, you know, that one particular harbor must have been one. Southern Cross must have been one. He went to Paris, uh, Volcano, you know, the, the ones that everybody knows, the, the, you know, by heart. Yeah. But he liked, he liked the other ones. Yeah. And he, yeah. he, and he took his stories as a writer. Of books where you get your ideas, inspiration. You see something. He he would hear a phrase, or he uh, he was on a bus. He was going to go see uh, the NASA shuttle launch, and he was on the bus with uh, like Neil Armstrong's grandson. Mm-hmm. And he actually wrote a song saying, "My grandfather went to space" or something like that, because that's what the kids said. So he, he ah. just always was writing these things down. So it's just observer, observer of human nature. It's exactly what he was. Yeah, and, and a, a best-selling fiction and nonfiction author. So number one New York Times bestseller list. Talent. He worked hard. Yeah, he played hard. But you can tell, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, he 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 played hard in his persona. As as we were both, I mean, he was seventy six and I'm eighty, so he's a little bit older than me. But you know, he he was not. He was living on the persona. He was a, just a normal guy. You know, I'm not going right. to drink wine. It's not good for me anymore. I eat my my mangoes and or, or oatmeal. I don't. <laughs> I, you know, he, I did, he, did, he looked up as a. I smoke a little weed. That was was his lines. <laughs> um, but that's so does Willie Nelson. He's ninety something. Yeah, you know? well, that's. I, I asked him, "How do you get through?" I mean, you're you're appalling. You're doing two shows. And he was cutting back on the number of shows a lot. Yeah. He says, "Like he, that's what he says." I smoke a little weed. That's how he gets through. And that's, relax. That's and relax. And that's that's that's, that's how we did it up, up to the end. Obviously, right. since he had cancer, uh, it's up to the end. So, I listen to more Jimmy now than I had in a while, and and, and the Margaritaville station is playing it nonstop, which is kind of cool. But you get to hear some deep cuts of things. So that's a good. So, do you? How do you write? Do you write a sterile environment? Can you listen to music? When like a type of day? Do you sit down? I'm going to write X and X. What's your writing kind of style? 
music. I when I write, if I'm in right here, I listen to jazz. Uh, mm-hmm. If there, I'm come out of the musical theater world, and I memorize mm-hmm. lyrics. So if I actually hear words, my mind is gonna flip over there. If it's quiet, my mind's going, "Ooh, it's too quiet." So yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> put the jazz in the background, and sometimes yeah. I put on some you know, or mu- instrumentation. So if you play like mm-hmm. Maynard Ferguson, if you know Maynard Ferguson songs, I know I grew up in jazz band, and the, I know those songs. I'm kind of tapping along, but I can still write because there's right. not a lot. Um, I don't have a schedule. I, I, I am a slow writer. I need to visualize what I write and mm-hmm, I sit down, mm-hmm. I can pound it out. Uh, and I don't, I try to avoid doing too much re-editing the next day. I know that's a process. You write one day, you come back the next day, mm-hmm. you spend the first amount of time editing the day before and you do the next day. I, I, I will get stuck on the editing part forever and spend a whole nother day doing that so then writing I just, stuff. just get it on the get it down get that first draft down just throw it up there and then literally throw it up there and then uh you know chew it up so i don't really say i'm gonna write from 9 to 11 i find just by habit i write uh like from 9 to noon if i'm mm-hmm. writing stint which i'm not on right now and and then take a couple hours and maybe do a right. three to five two to four but I'm, it's always there. If you're, you know, you're, it's yeah, cooking. Oh, yeah. it's, at night, you're, I, I can't sleep. It's just, I'm, in fact, I'm, I wrote the first opening of the next book, I think, last mm-hmm. night, just in my brain. I should have sat down and typed it out. But I, I don't say 2,000 words a day and you got to write every day. And I know there's, and that's something that works for some writers, but I can't handle the stress. I can't say, oh my God, I didn't write yesterday. I am a failure. Yeah. Uh, and now it's two days in a row I've ever written. And I'm, you know, I bet a much bigger guys, failure. A yeah. Much bigger so, failure. See, so what you do is you take imposter complex. Yeah. All right. And you take fear of missing out and you yeah. whoosh them together and you, and you paralyze yourself. Yeah. So just do it. Cause you know what? Everybody else is doing it. And there's nobody looking over your shoulder. There's no cl- closed circuit camera there saying, oh, right. Joe's not writing today. I better yeah, tell yeah. the world. You know, it's, it's you, you're alone and you can do it anytime you want. If you have a goal, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right to your goal. If, right. you, if you if you can move your goal, try to avoid it because then you just keep moving the goalposts. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it takes time. So I don't st- structuralize myself into failure. Yeah, I I, uh, I like to listen to like country and western music when I write. Um, I, I I mean, I just got done with four miles before I got on the uh, podcast with you. Uh, in the morning, I, 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 I'm a monitor on a special education bus for the local school district. Great little kids. So I come home at nine. I do my four miles to go to the gym and I think about, you know, the books or whatever. And then I like to go outside. I live in Texas, so it's usually nice weather. Sit outside and write, listen to the music. I don't outline particularly. Um, but I, I, you're like you. I, if I'm sitting in a sterile environment, I'm like, hmm. I need, you know, I need, I hear something I need, to kickstart something. I need yeah. something to, you know, to light that spark. Uh, so, Even when I was I, in I college, I'd sit in the noisy spot in the library where mm-hmm. the reserve book room, the door was popping, closing, bam, 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 just because yeah. it, it was, it was sound. Yeah, you know, you, you said something about um, outlining. That's another thing. You know, I'm, uh-huh. I'm a planter. I kind of plan. I kind of outline. Yeah. I, I, I have, I know there's certain things I want to write to. Mm-hmm. This has to happen. I don't know how they get there, so I write to get there, and then I know I need to get to this next one that's in my plan. So I don't know how to get there. 
a right to get there. And then I get that. And I, I kind of sort of always know the ending, at least mm-hmm. in the general vicinity of the ending. So I start writing towards that. Uh, so I, so it's just, if I, if I had an outline, which has to change, right? You're adapting. All, even if you had it, you're adapting all the time. But I don't write out like some authors who are very successful. They write everything. They right. know their characters, what shoe size they are. They know every little bit of what they do mm-hmm. in the story. I just can't do that. I'd rather just write the story. Yeah, I couldn't either. I would lose. I would get lost in the in the details. Even though I, if I write a scene, I like to detail the scene. Yes, right. And my books have a lot of dialogue in them. So you know, writing that dialogue and equating that to a scene or or whatever in a book or something. But yeah, yeah at, the, at the top of each page, as I start a chapter, I'll write bullet points what should happen in this chapter and that you know but i think that's a great idea i've never heard that before that's yeah, a great idea uh, i just made that that's my own and so i i write along nobody take that, that. you can have it don't be taken or you're gonna be a copyright no it's all yours it's a freebie <laughs> i'm on the podcast public domain oh internet <laughs> yeah oh that's gone yeah social media every time everywhere anonymous right that's that's the world and then somebody can say they invented it so i just want you to watch out i can live <laughs> You know, back in the I day, in the world of uh, of secrecy, anyway. And, 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 like back and, in the day, which was a Tuesday, that's when I invented it. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> well, Joe, it's been fantastic uh, talking to you. Anything else? You got words of wisdom to the uh, author Eka folk? Uh, you know, it's, I'm not going to say you know those who write write, those who read read. You are individuals. All right, don't try to be somebody else. Right. All right. If you get caught up trying to be somebody else or write like somebody else and get the best, then you're not you. Be the best you and write an entertaining book. So if where can people get a hold of you? You win. Yes. So where can people get a hold of you? JoeGoldbergBooks.com. Everything's there. Twitter? Uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. I'm not on TikTok. That's my that's my social media slash CIA world. And I'm really thinking about it because it's become table stakes. And I teach it. So it's kind of like yeah. maybe I should be on TikTok, but I haven't got But So all the, all the major other ones that okay. are worthwhile. Okay. I'm kind of on. I mean, that's where I contacted you was on X. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Twitter. It's Twitter. It's yeah, Twitter. I, I I, in fact, I was writing my <laughs> syllabus for my class last night, and I have a Twitter. There's a Twitter assignment. And yeah. I'm like, do I call it Twitter? So I did what X. Do call it, X? What, what, what do you call when you tweet? A, 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 an X? Yeah, hey, I know. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's a dumb, it's a brand that no one, it's kind of like saying I'm going to Xerox or I use a Band-Aid. It's, it's, yeah. Twitter is there forever. Yeah, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't X. Well, I can't. I don't want to triple X because then I get in trouble. Then again, so, yeah, then you're going to be banned <laughs> by just about everybody. It depends. In certain markets, you'll be a hero. Yeah, it depends. If I'm running for Congress or something in Virginia, yeah, you know, Section 230 <laughs> will take care of it. You know, no X. Well, great. It has been fantastic. Uh, you know, meeting you and talking to you and folks, go check out his books. And like he said, reviews are critical. Right? There are the foundation, not only for the book getting out to more. But it helps the writer say, you know what? I will write another one. It's just, it helps. It's a valid motivation. Yep, exactly. So go out there and check them out. And uh, Joe, it's been great. Uh, I'm already scheduled. I already booked my my ticket for the what Boshum or whatever that's called. Bouchercon. Bouchercon. I already. I'm ready. I'm Nashville. going to Nashville. And yep, Nash- Killer go. Nashville should be before it. My son lives in Nashville, so I think we're spending some weeks down in the the greater Nashville area next fall. It's a great city. My son lives in Northern Virginia, and that's I'm going yeah. for a book signing next month because the one of the a beer garden that I go to there is in my books. Oh, it's where the team goes to decompress. 
Well, there you go. You have, you have an in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been great meeting well, great. you. It's and, been uh, good questions. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you very no, much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Now, it's just up. Thank you for listening to Author Eke. There'll be another episode next week. Please stop by and start your own story. We can't wait to hear it.